Thanks for your interest in Emmanuel Baptist. Here at Emmanuel, we believe in the one and only authoritative text for guidance, the Holy Bible. We pray that this sermon will speak to your heart and open your eyes to the glory of God. Make sure you plug into your local church and get to know others that love the Holy Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like you. Thanks again, and God bless you guys. So our text today, this Psalm 23, all six verses, yields at least three great truths about how God takes care of his own. Before we look at how he takes care of his own, I want to look at the who takes care of his own. Who does David say is his shepherd? In verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, I perhaps we discussed this before, uh, but look, the word Lord in my translation, and probably yours, whatever you have, is in uh, small caps. That is really the word Yahweh. And the, most English translations and additions make it the word Lord because the, the Jewish people would not say the name of God, which we think is pronounced Yahweh. They would say Adonai, which is, won't go into details of that. They would say Lord. Uh, because the sacred name of God is so sacred they wouldn't say it. But when you see the word Lord, capital L, small capital O-R-D, that really can be translated Yahweh. So Yahweh, and that word Yahweh is used a thousand, over a thousand times in the Old Testament. Over a thousand times. And it's a sacred name of God. And of course, as you know, you probably do know, it comes from Exodus 3, when Moses speaks to God in the burning bush, and Moses, I think the third uh, question he has to God, who are you, what's your name? And God says, I am who I am. That's the Hebrew uh, verb to be, and it comes out, and we think it's pronounced Yahweh. We may be wrong about that, but it's close to the word Yahweh. So that's where it comes from. This is the, the covenant God. Yahweh is the covenant God. And yet this is the name David chooses in the opening verse, the very first verse in Psalm 23. The great I am is my shepherd. This is very similar to the thought in Psalm 8 where we read, O Lord, our Lord. O Lord, meaning Yahweh, our Lord. If you have a chance, look at Psalm 8. Let's look at Psalm 8 just for a second, just for just for. For funsies. Um, if you look in verse 1 of chapter 8, you see, O Lord, in small caps, our Lord, regular letters. You see that? That's two different words. Really, you're saying, oh, you're saying Yahweh, our Lord. You see the difference there? I want you to just remember that. When you look, read in Scripture, small caps is usually Yahweh. So you're saying, O Lord, is really saying Yahweh, or O Yahweh, who is our Lord. So, that's the same thing in Psalm 8. So he is other than us, yet he is ours. Wow. He is powerful and he's personal. He's majestic and he is mine. He is an all-consuming fire, yet he is my sensitive uh, shepherd. And I love the image of, of Yahweh as a shepherd in Isaiah 40. Verse 11, just listen, Isaiah 40, verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. And a beautiful picture of our God as a shepherd. And of course, Jesus picks this up, this theme up in, in John chapter 10. Later on, that's not our subject today, how he is the great shepherd. 
I'm sure he's relating this back to Psalm 23, that really he is the great shepherd. He is the great I am. The shepherd we see here in Psalm 23 is the covenant God. He's the one that made covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai and made covenant with Abraham and makes covenant with David. I'm not sure if it's before this or after this. Well, I guess it was, well, no, that David becomes uh, the king and out of David's line would come the Messiah, this covenant. That's why David could say, the Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. That's the who of the shepherd. Now let's look at these three great truths about how the shepherd, how God, how Yahweh takes care of his own. The first is this, God provides for his own, verses 1, 2, and 3. Again, let's see. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I want you to notice the verbs there, what God does, what the shepherd does. He makes me, now that doesn't force me, but he brings me to green pastures. He brings me to food and he makes me lie down, which means things are safe. He restores my soul. My soul is, is not right and he makes it whole. He restores my soul. He leads me. He is the one who, the shepherd who leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And you've probably heard this before, too. In, in the Middle East, in eastern countries there, shepherds would lead their sheep. He or she would go ahead of them, and they would follow after him or her. Here in the West, in America, and I'm sure probably in Australia, other places, you have sheep or goats, you drive them. You push them along. Maybe you got dogs or something, you push them along. That's just a different way of shepherding. But in the East, Middle East, they would lead their sheep. So he does everything. He's providing. He's providing green pastures, something to eat. He's, uh, he's leading beside still waters. My understanding that shepherd, the sheep will not drink at running water. It scares them. They have to have still water. And the shepherd leads them to still water where they will drink. The shepherd restores. The shepherd leads. All the stuff that, that God provides for his own. There's once a substitute Sunday school teacher asked his class one day, how many of you can quote Psalm 23? Several hands raised, kids raised their hands, including a little girl about four years old. And the teacher's kind of surprised that someone that young would know Psalm 23. So he asked her to recite it for the class. She stood up and she said, the Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. <laughs> well, and then she sat down. Well, she makes up a little bit, but that's not bad. It really is not bad. Uh, she had the words mixed up, but understood the message completely, the whole psalm. If you had a Lord as your shepherd, that's all you need. <laughs> you got it. That's all I want. A sheep that is lying down in green pasture of the master has no worries. So many of us are filled with anxiety today. And I read a report some time ago that many, as many as 70 million Christians, 70 million Americans don't get enough sleep each night. And many insomniacs report this because of stress and anxiety. And I recently read about a guy who was so whacked out with worry that he decided to hire someone to do his worrying for him. All right. So he found a man who agreed to, this, to be a hired worrier for a salary of $200,000 a year. After he accepted the job, his first question to his boss was, where are you going to get the $200,000 to pay me? To which the boss replied, that's your first worry, not mine. <laughs> So you get the go, 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 go. 
Well, if God is your shepherd, everything else is secondary. We could say it this way. If the Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not want. If I'm in want, then the Lord is not my shepherd. Listen to what Psalm 34.9 says. Psalm 34.9. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. And that's really the main, main thought here in the psalm. Really, really, verse 1, if he's your shepherd, there's nothing, you, you're not lacking anything. You shall not want. There is no lack you're taken care of. Whether it's rest or refreshment or renewal, that's what these, these verses here are saying. Those are the primary task of the shepherd in keeping his sheep. He's tasked to, to provide for them rest, refreshment, and renewal. And without that, they become sickly or ill-fed. So they put their trust in the shepherd to take care of them. They don't have a worry. They just follow the shepherd, and everything's hunky-dory. God cares for us in the very same way. What David is saying is that we can trust God for our needs in life. When we rest in God's love, feed upon God's word, drink of his living water, our souls are restored. This is so important in this day when so much emphasis is put on what we can get out of life. Get all the gusto, grab the brass ring, do, 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 be successful, do whatever, get all the toys you can get. What's that saying? At least back a long time ago, he who has the most toys wins. Well, that's, you still die. What do you do toys in? Um, that's kind of the, the, the thought of our world is all these things, and, but God cares for us. There are so many people today who are driven by materialism and they confuse their wants with their needs and they are never satisfied. But as a sheep, following our shepherd, we can be satisfied with rest and refreshment and renewal. So in, here in verses 1, 2, and 3, God provides for his own. The shepherd provides for his sheep. God provides your needs and my needs. The second truth is this, God protects his own, verses 4 and 5. Even though I walk through the valley of the shell of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Many people, I think the reason we have this, so many funerals, because there's the word death in there, or the shadow of death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I'm not sure that David is really talking about death per se, even though it can apply to death. It goes through those, those dark times in our lives. It's not just at your dying or your family member dying and you go through a, a dark time because they are dying or have died. And, and it is a dark time and we need the shepherd's care. It's not, I'm not against that at all. But I think he's referring to any kind of dark time in our lives. Anytime there's anxiety or there's depression or there's fret or there's just uh, it's a bad time, whether it's in our culture or whether it's in our family or just within your own soul, uh, whatever it is, some kind of deep darkness that you might go through the shallow, through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, I'm sure there in the, in the Middle East they have mountains and you go in valleys and sometimes those valleys don't get much sun. Because they're blocked, the sun, and those are dark valleys, especially maybe at dusk, and especially at night, of course. And then he talks about this, these, uh, these tools he has, this shepherd has, this rod and staff. 
Uh, I will fear no evil because you're with me during the valley of the shadow of death, for you're with me, your rod and your staff that comfort me. Now, a rod was like a, kind of like a little club uh, hooked on the belt of a shepherd, maybe, maybe this big, I don't know. It's really an offensive weapon to keep animals away, keep, you know, to help protect the, the sheep. A lion or bear or whatever. It was kind of an uh, offensive weapon. And then the staff, and you've seen the, the staff with a crook on it, the shepherd's staff, uh, that was more uh, taking care of sheep. Um, it was, um, if they get in the wrong way, kind of nudging them back this way, or they get in a ravine, you get a crook and kind of pick them up. Uh, that was kind of to, to help them um, protect the sheep and keep the sheep in line. So, so the shepherd has these tools, and we uh, take comfort in that. We're protected from the enemies out, and when we mess up or not going quite the right, right way, he can kind of nudge us or maybe whack us, whatever the case may be. Uh, it depends on what the sheep is doing. Uh, sometimes uh, they just wander off, not thinking. Sometimes they're disobedient, just like us. So he has this picture here in verse 4 of, of being out in the wilderness, being out there, even through the valley of shadow of death. And even though that's a terrible thing uh, or feels bad to us, our shepherd's there. He's there to protect us from the enemies, and he's there to comfort us and keep us in the right path. We won't get off on the, on the wrong way. And then in verse 5, he changes the scene from a, a pasture to a banquet hall. That's interesting. All of a sudden, he's got a, a table in front of my enemies. It's a banquet. It's a feast that he's looking at here. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. So at first glance, this image seems strangely out of place. What does a feast have to do with God's protection? We've seen God protecting us and taking care of our needs. Then we see this party going on. Well, I think it has to do with this. Eating together is a picture of peace. Ever tried to eat when you're worried or sick at heart or afraid or you're down? Uh, for some reason, food loses its attraction and we're worried and afraid and our stomachs are taut and we just don't feel like eating. I don't want to eat. Uh, maybe there's some grief. Uh, someone has died or, or you're anxious about what's going to happen at work tomorrow or there's something else going on and there's a financial reversal and, and you feel real worried and, and you just don't feel like eating. But when you come together and you eat, you think about times you've come together with church or with family, like celebrations at Christmas or Thanksgiving or even like Fourth of July hot dogs come together. It's a fun time, usually. It's peace. It's It's fun. Um, but when, when, our, when we're not feeling good, our stomachs are taunt and adrenaline is rushing because something's going to happen tomorrow. And the last thing our bodies want to do when we're afraid is sit down and eat something. We said, no, thank you. That's why people lose their appetites when danger assails them. Do you know what it's like to fear? To be afraid? Do you? To be uncertain about tomorrow? To be worried about problems or situations of people? Well, of course you do. All of us have been there. Probably more times than we want to admit. It's really as human experience. And yet the Bible is clear. Do we need not fear in the valley of the shadow of death? There's no reason to fear because David declared, you are with me. 
And that's what I said about, I think, our second song we sang. And I just mentioned earlier or the sermon here. It's amazing how the God of the universe, the covenant God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, who is different from us, who's holy, the holy other, who is beyond us, wants to be in our midst. That's part of the whole tabernacle thing. God wants to dwell in the midst of his people. And he does through Jesus Christ. He really did dwell in the midst of his people. And he wants to dwell in the midst of us right here. Not just individually, yes, individually, sure, but as, as, a, as a local body, and I think as a body of Christ, God wants to be right here with us, for you are with me. You see, that's the key to peace in the face of life's dangers, to recognize that through it all, God is with us, to trust in God's presence and His protection. Now, how many times have you, and I, this is, I've had me too, you go through a tough time, some kind of stress, and you kind of say to yourself, maybe out loud, maybe to yourself, God, where are you? I really need you. Yeah, where are you? And once you get through that situation and, and things, everything's over, whether it's a couple of hours, a couple of days, a couple of years, whatever it is, and then you look back on the situation, you say, hey, hey, you were there the whole time. You been there? Yeah, I, I, we've all been there. Even in the midst of those situations, we, feel, we don't feel God's presence. We, I can say I have, I've been around long enough, and most of you have too, with a couple exceptions in this room. Most of you have been around long enough that you've been through situations, and then you look back and remember God, and you saw that God was with you, that when that situation comes again, when, not that situation, when another dark time comes, you say, God, I don't feel you, but I know you're here with me. Because you have been with me before, and I know that. I've experienced that. David is saying that even in the face of fearsome situations, we can have a calm inside, a sense of tranquility and peace that lets us enjoy the feast of God's love. So preparing a table for me, it's just it's a good time. Eating food, and you feel good, and you're having good conversation. So despite being walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we can have peace. We can have a feast. Which leads us to our last verse and the third point. God promises his blessings to his own. Look at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word mercy can also be translated Steadfast love. I think in many ways that could be translated into the New Testament as a word grace. You don't see the word grace, I don't think, much in the Old Testament. Really, this, uh, this word mercy or steadfast love is kind of like the New Testament concept of grace. And he's saying that as you go through this, mercy and uh, goodness and mercy shall follow you. Wherever you go, it's going to follow you. It's kind of like um, that, that great theological statement by little Bo Peep. Little Bo Peep has lost her sheep, and she can't tell where to find them. Leave them alone, and they'll come home, what? Wagging their tails behind them. So we think of uh, mercy, goodness and mercy following you. Think of the tails of Bo Peep's sheep. Wherever you go, goodness and mercy will follow after you. That's good, good thinking. And he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, he's talking about here the house of the Lord. Now, we, we call this house of the Lord, and that's not bad, this building. But the house of the Lord for David was the, was the tabernacle that they had in the wilderness at Mount Sinai, and they carried along. And when David was king, they still had it in a big tent, a 
tabernacle. It wasn't until his son Solomon that he built a permanent structure, the temple. The temple it just comes straight from the tabernacle being a tent of meeting to being a, a beautiful structure. And David is kind of giving a picture here of dwelling in the place where God lives. Now, I think Israel and David, they understood God, and he, he tells this to David, God, that a house can't contain me. We, I think we know that. God can't be contained in this building or in the temple. But that's the place where God and man met, was in the temple. That's where God dwelt among his people, was there in the tabernacle, that tent with all of Israel all around them. And that's where we would go to do our sacrifices because we're sinful people that come to a holy God through the sacrificial system. This is where we can meet God. And David has given a picture here. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord, in the temple, in, in the tabernacle. I want to be close to God. I want to be where God lives. I want to be in his presence. And how, do you, how are you in his presence? By worshiping, by blessing God. I tell you, I, I really enjoy being here on Sunday morning with you guys singing. I appreciate the worship team who's up here, and I can really hear them well. I'm right here in the third row. I'm singing. I'm hearing you guys singing, and it's just a real blessing to be singing together and to be worshiping together. And what a foretaste of heaven that is, a foretaste of dwelling in the house of the Lord as we worship the Lord together and we feel his presence. His presence is always here. We feel it in a special way when we worship and bless. And he says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. Well, sometimes we confuse that word forever. Literally, it means for length of days. That's what the Hebrew literally means, for length of days. This may be a, simply another way of saying all the days of my life. It could be saying that. It also more likely means uh, for days without end. That's what forever is, for days without end. So it's not just after life but days of our, of our life now. For every day of our life, the abundant living we can experience being in his presence now, in this life, and in the life to come. You see, friends, God is more than a God who provides. He is more than a God who protects. He is a God who makes all of life, both the present and the future, a wonderful thing. He is a God of promise. With God by our side, life is good. Now, some of you became Christians at a young age, maybe through vacation Bible school or through the church. Some of you became Christians as adults, some as young adults, some as older adults, perhaps. But can you, and some of you can, some of you can't, remember what it's like to be without Christ before you came to Christ? If you can remember that, what it was like looking back at it, and what it now means once you have Christ in your life, once you've received Christ into your life. Life is good. It's not always pleasant. We still have problems. We get rid of some problems, but we gain some other problems being a Christian. But even then, life is good. Our lives are fulfilled in ways we kind of begin to imagine. Not the fullness of possessions, not the abundance of things, but the abundance of God, of God's love, God's peace. God's joy, God's goodness. And I can guarantee you this, if you have these things and, not you, and nothing else, you're definitely more richer than all the material possessions of the world. People are still looking for those material things. But if you have Jesus, you have more than that. 
So David says that the Lord, Yahweh, is like a shepherd to him. God provides for his own. God protects his own. God promises his blessings to his own. But notice very carefully, David says, my shepherd. He doesn't say the shepherd or the great shepherd. He says, my shepherd. He is a great shepherd, and we can have a personal relationship with him. All these great facts about God, the great shepherd, hinges on the word my. If you can't say my, then this psalm is not for you. And there's no guarantee that God will meet your needs. The need to be saved from sin is the greatest need that anyone on this planet has. Think about it. My is the golden key that unlocks the treasure chest of God's best in our lives. You see, when you look up and say, my shepherd, that's your supreme act of faith. It makes God look down and say, my sheep. And that's his supreme grace, act of grace on his behalf. So what's so beautiful about Jesus is he not only gives us everything we need, he is everything we need. Now, in this passage, in Psalm 23, I see three lamb lessons. Three lamb lessons, as I kind of wrap this up today. First of all, first lesson is join the shepherd's flock. The Lord's looking for lost sheep. That's another picture we see in Scripture. He's looking for lost sheep. Isaiah 53, 6, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own ways, and the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. If you have never asked Jesus to save you from your sins and shepherd your life, then you're not yet in his flock. Do you know the shepherd? If not, you can join his flock right now. So the first lesson is, join the shepherd's flock. Second, stay close to the shepherd. Many sheep will come to the shepherd daily and rub against his legs and wait for a pat on the head. They want the assurance the shepherd is there for them. Sheep that stay close to the shepherd reach the water first. Those next to the shepherd get to the sweetest grass first. But most of all, they get to enjoy it all with the shepherd by their side. When we say close to the shepherd, he will make sure all our needs are met. Now, I'm sure I have experienced, and probably all of you experienced something on the other, even as his sheep, even as a child of God, we've drifted some and not that close to Jesus at times. And you've experienced that, I've experienced that. And when we've gotten closer to Jesus, how sweeter that is. So God's word to us today is to stay close to the shepherd, stay close to our shepherd, Jesus. And the third lesson I see here, this lamb lesson, is follow wherever he leads. We know the shepherd through salvation and stay close to him through discipleship. You want to follow him wherever he leads. You don't even look where you're going. You just follow him. Sometimes it's through a valley. Sometimes you experience green pastures. The shepherd has a plan for you. He wants to lead you in paths of righteousness. He has a plan for this local flock we call Emmanuel Baptist Church. If we stay close to him and follow him, he'll lead us to the right place. Through the valley shall of death, to green pastures, to still waters, whatever it might be. 
So are you willing to follow him regardless of the direction he takes you? So let me conclude by asking some some personal questions for you to, to ponder and to respond to. Is the great shepherd yours? Can you say the Lord Yahweh is my shepherd? Are you staying close to him? If he is your shepherd, are you staying close? Are you wandering over here? He has to leave the 99 here, go look for that lost sheep. Are you that lost sheep? Stay close to the shepherd. And lastly, are you following him wherever he leads? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, what a great psalm. Uh, so beloved by so many Christians and, uh, and Jews throughout this last 3,000 years. We thank you that we can say to you, you are our shepherd. And we just trust you with the, the, the dark things that come our way and through the, the great celebrations of a feast. We think the ups and downs in our lives, whatever it is, we can follow you and trust you to meet our needs and to experience your presence now in this life until the end of our days and then beyond our days, even beyond the grave. We can spend time with you for eternity. We love you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.